Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Night City Council is in session. My name is John John the Wise, and I have with me the Honorable Mayor of Balance Town himself, James Hutt. James, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, John John. Well, happy, happy that you're here. I love you. This is great. And today we're going to be talking about Wood Chipper's Garage. Yeah, I'm I'm excited about this one. This is uh it's always fun when you get to make guns for cyberpunk. And uh this one was great. Yeah, this is definitely uh gonna go in the books as a fan favorite, and I think we know why. It has guns in it. Because it has it has guns. Yeah, that's true. You're all animals. It it okay. has guns in it. It has <laughs> guns in it. That's true. This is true. Uh it all uh, Woodchipper, I'm a fan of. Woodchipper's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Writing Woodchipper. She's great. What went behind her uh, design? What's her idea? Who is Woodchipper? Tell us. So um, I want you to... One of the great pleasures of working in cyberpunk is that there's so much timeline to deal with. There's so much lore, right? Uh, you, if you start reading the 2020 books, and there's so much that happened uh, in those books and on the timeline to expand the timeline. Um, the timeline in red is actually the shortened cut down version of the fullness that happened in 2020. So there are a lot of characters uh, in 2020 that would still be alive in 2045. Uh, and Woodchipper is one of those. Mm. Uh, so Woodchipper is an old soul. She has a new handle. Uh, and she's coming into her middle, the middle of her life. Uh, however, who she is, is, is a bit of a, um, a cool thing you discover while reading this PDF. So I'm just going to tease you about it instead of telling you actually who she is. You need some 2020 books on hand, to figure it out, but you can figure it out with this document. Yeah, so the idea behind this DLC was basically to provide us with another supplement to give us some fun weapons to go into our games, right? That's the whole oh, yeah. Totally. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, it's to um, shore up something that's not in the core rules, which is we did not give enough support to the heavy weapons skill. Mm. Uh, the heavy weapons skill needs it uh, because... If you take the heavy weapon skill, you're saying, I want to fire the coolest, biggest, explosiviest, the heavy stuff. And in the core book, yeah, you got some options. Um, but we needed something to tie you over until Black Chrome. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so this one's just this one's just for them. Uh, because honestly, if I had to look at the triage of which player character needs this the most the heavy weapons guys they, they need something guys and gals um i just think of the heavy from team fortress 2 when i say the phrase heavy <laughs> weapon i i know everybody else and it's the same thing it's now now i want a sandwich this is this is for him this is for him <laughs> yeah the so you're talking about if i make a starting character and i want to focus on heavy weapons mm -hmm. i don't really have a lot of options just out of the core rule book basically and this this um, this DLC is to give you those options, uh, you know, just in case. What if I want to have weapons, but I don't like flamethrowers, uh, stuff like that? Uh, B 
because of that, a lot of the stuff is pitched at a thousand, um, which is our big buy-in number. Uh, if you're buying a thousand dollar thing at character creation, you, you got to really want it when you've only got 2550 EB. Um, and, uh, but there's also cheap stuff in here, um, for, you know, y'all cheapskates or people without fixers out there. Um, we remembered you and, uh, for, uh, the, you know, people who are fallen, uh, we've got, uh, some special things in this document. The Militech Archimedes may be for you. Um, well, before we get to if you have a nomad friend. Oh, well, see, you're teasing and now we got to talk about it. Now we got to go straight to it. There's no, there's no teasing. These are, these are free. Um, you know, they don't cost anything. Uh, you get them on the internet and, uh, off our website, artelsoringgames.com. And, you know, I'll think about it, but I might put a little link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it in the, put it in the link. I might put a little link. People know by now. We haven't seen that comment in a while. Yeah. How much they cost. People get it. People, I think people get it now. I think people get it now. Has it been a year? Has it been a year, John John? We reminded them for a year. Ooh, now. has it? Have we done it for a year? We're, We're coming up on it. We, Pat, we did 10 sure. episodes and we didn't even make a whole hurrah about it. This is 11. I think it might be a year. I just had the one year anniversary of Elflines Online for charity. Uh, over well, actually, at- no. If we do this every month, then. The next one is one year. Next one's one year? Yeah, next yeah, one's 12. one year. I think we skipped a month. Did we? Oh, then we did. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> I think we might have skipped a month. This might be the one year, but next time, 12 episodes, monthly show, next to the official one year. This Whoa. is the official one year. There you go. This is <laughs> the unofficial, very merry, unyear birthday. So the Militech Archimedes is one of my favorite weapons in this um, whole shebang. Well, why don't I read it? The cost is 5,000 eddies, so it's a luxury item. So that means you're really going to want it. You're really, really going to want it. You can't get it at character creation, right? Because you start at 2550. No, you cannot. So as the description says, I'll level with you, period. You can only really get these if you raid a Militech installation in the dead of night, all quiet-like. Otherwise, they'll they'll fire them before you can get close. Those jarheads get got into their fields to be the one pushing the big red button. After all, they don't even hesitate. So as you can see, all the all the descriptions are from the first person, from the perspective of wood chipper, basically selling this to you. Yeah, right? yeah. This is that's a that's a different take we did here um, because I thought it would be cool to theme the whole document. By the way, there's also an interview, a page link interview with the fixer at the beginning of the um, the DLC, and we sort of just allow it to flow naturally through the items um, to try to give it a different vibe, since it's not a it's not trying to be a black chrome, uh, a chrome book style thing where we're going to do in-universe uh, sales pitches. This is an in-universe conversation with a fixer, and at the end of it, she tries to push two guns on you. So okay. I thought... I thought um, I thought it was cool to do it that way. But yeah. So um, after that flavor text, she tells you the Archimedes is an excellent quality exotic rocket launcher fired using the pilot air vehicle skill instead of the heavy weapon skill. That's amazing. It can only fire smart rockets. The weapon will not function unless its user has targeting scope cyberware. 
Each purchase comes with one smart rocket. So this is a military-grade weapon. They use it in the military. They use it in conflicts. This is not a street-fighting weapon. Yeah, uh, unless you piss someone off that you really shouldn't have um, who has some sort of military backing, this is a great way to show that a villain has complete backing from Militech if they're like, where are they? Trace the phone call. I think there's going to be a drone strike. You know what I mean? Um, it's uh, it's that um, it's that thing from Call of Duty where you open the thing and then you put the thing in and then. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're not even there. You're all the way like somewhere else. Well, no, it's not that version. It's the one where you're on site. Gotcha. It, it's based off of it's based off of a real weapon that we're not going to get into because mm-hmm. none of you are in. You can look that up on your own. Uh, this is a real thing. Uh, and uh, it's, it's very cool. Uh, th- theoretically, not what, it, not what it does to yeah. human life. But um, the, the engineering of it is cool, not the exactly. application. There you go. Uh, but uh, it's very cool. And uh, this is the type of thing that um, brings that world lore in. Um, to gameplay it's a great escalation tool for a gm uh, because you should constantly looking to escalate tension and then resolve tension and then escalate more tension and resolve tension and then break and then go back to the original point of escalation to build your storylines and uh, this happening this happening to people is a it's a lot more fun than just a guy with a rocket launcher it's a yeah, it's also great, like you said, to give it to like the big bad guy. He has like this crazy AV4. That thing is mounted on it. And if you think you're going to be taking them on a one-on-one head-to-head fight, it's not going to be good for you unless you got the exact same thing with you. So maybe it would be good for your players to like do recon, see that that weapon is there so they know, all right, we got to sneak in when they're not using that vehicle because that's that's a trump card on us. So build wise because i try to think about all of these stuff in terms of like the different use cases another use cool part about it is that you can't fire it unless you have targeting scope cyberware uh, this means that if you put it in a if you know nobody in your party has targeting scope cyberware you can kind of make it a one way door um, item that they can't use but they have to move or something you could make this item essentially the MacGuffin of a story. And if no one has targeting scope scabberware, nobody can fire it, you're fine. Um, Cool build thing, if you get one of these, you can buy a smart lens with targeting scope cyberware on it and not have to have a cyber eye. Mm -hmm. Because that fits in that, and it's, uh, I think that's kind of cool. Very cool. Smart smart lens, by the way, is on the, uh, is in microchrome, that's the four pin set, we sold through Penny Arcade, and you can get that on DriveThruRPG if you don't want the pins. Um, but you should yeah. get the pins. I was so looking at it. It's, it's up there. I don't want to go up and get it, but it's up there. You can't see you it's off even, camera. They're too pretty. Yeah. Okay. okay I got them right. mounted up there because I know I'm not going to put them on. I don't want to take them out of its packaging. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. So I have them as an art piece up there. Uh, so we talked about the Militech Archimedes, which is 5,000 eddies. 
Let's talk about another rocket launcher that's 500 eddies. So that means you could go to your local fixer and let them know like, hey, I need a Toa pocket launcher. This one's fun. It's a poor quality exotic rocket launcher. While unloaded, it can be concealed. So you conceal it. You bring a rocket with you. You go, I'm going to go powder my nose. You go to the bathroom. You pull it out of your jacket. And you load this thing, and I'm assuming, is this a one-time use, or it can be reloaded? It can be reloaded. If it Oof. doesn't say reloaded, it can be reloaded. There you go. So it's okay. not even one-time use. I write, because I always write for the builders out there. Yeah. Trying to, trying to pick things apart. So this is an absolutely chaotic weapon to give, to give one of your players. <laughs> so my favorite part about it is you can't conceal a rocket. Um... Like any situation where you could conceal a rocket but can't conceal a rocket launcher, this is sure is the solution. Challenge but, accepted. All right, you don't know me. Yeah. You don't know what I can do. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Not just kidding. But it, the cool it's thing about good. it is, it's a poor quality exotic launcher, rocket launcher. So that means you can hop out of the bathroom and say, "Say hello to my little friend," and then you roll a one. And then now everybody's like, uh, kill this no, guy. Not how jamming works. Sorry, John, John, I have to come down on you. Oh, that's right. The I rocket launches already. After. Yeah. Which means that you can't reload it and fire another. Unless you clear the jam. Unless you clear the jam. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the rocket goes out no matter what. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Where is it going to go, though? Hit the wall? I mean... GM discretion. Uh, When you're firing a rocket launcher, you can only fail so much. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? Like you can't you can't screw that up that much. Um. That being said, it's your table. Have fun. Your table. Your rules. Do your thing. Uh, Let's talk about one more item, and then we'll get into some questions. Uh, so the Sternmeyer M02 Heavy Rifle. This is a 1,000 Eddy, very expensive. It's an exotic assault rifle, Ooh. incapable of auto fire and suppressive fire. So it's a single shot. Uh, it is fired with the heavy weapon skill instead of shoulder arms and has an yep. 80 shot capacity. The weapon fires its own proprietary, proprietary trowned ammunition. Whoa, say that 10,000 times which costs 500 eddies for a drum of 80 armor-piercing shots and is the only type of ammunition this weapon can fire. Okay. Okay. So, this is meant to shred armor and never have to reload, basically. Just think of the cost savings. (laughs) The cost Is that why you wrote wrote this? Well, I mean, think about 80 rounds of armor-piercing ammunition at $10 a round is 800. Yeah. So you pay five hundred. Saves three hundred bucks. Yeah. Every time. Um. Uh, so, cost and... save for sure. Um, uh, and what you're paying for it is uh, a single purpose uh gun. Uh, but one of my favorite parts about it is. This is actually one of the best ways to to get sustained, reliable damage with this skill. This is the big. This is the support weapon, right? 
the, um, hey, you can't afford a minigun right now. Here you go. Uh, this is, uh, this is, this is for, if you're like, I only want to use the heavy weapon skill. I don't want to invest in shoulder arms. I don't want to invest in handgun. Um, this might be interesting for that type of player. Yeah, I like it. I love having a different option. And the downside doesn't really, uh, matter. However, if you are running out of 80 round single shot drums, uh, armor piercing drums during a conflict, you have bigger problems. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have bigger problems than sourcing your next drum of 80 shots. Yeah, you have a game master that's trying to kill you. <laughs> you have a game master that just wants to RP a war zone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what do you think? How does this uh, weapon look and feel? Is it something you would mount on a vehicle? Or is it something like a big dude would be carrying as like a special weapons team guy? Or what are you thinking? This, this is like a really oversized rifle. Mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the uh, big rifles. Uh, I know the term big rifle. How scientific. <laughs> uh, um, this is, this is a heavy rifle. Um, this is the design space for the heavy rifle. Um, basically this one has that proprietary ammo capacity bonus. Um, there may be others in the future that have other bonuses. Um, if you're a home brewer, if you're a tech, um, this is the type of way to introduce a benefit onto a rifle by moving it to a 2x skill and changing it up a little bit. Uh, you could put the railgun effect on this with the tech, for example. Um, you could, this is a great basis to modify on top of as well. Um, it's not sexy right now, but the next thing you can do to it could be the sexy part. Um, this is like the weapons platform for building on top of tech-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, does it does require that you have access to some sort of fixer at the 500 EB category to be able to feed this thing its special food? Um, but yeah, if you can't do that, that that's part of role playing that. I hate to go back to TF2, but <laughs> what is it? It costs $10,000 to fire this weapon for five seconds. Is, isn't that the line? Yep. Uh, so uh, it's that type of thing. Uh, accessibility is going to be a quirk of the weapon. Um, benefit uh, is our piercing ammunition is really good. Uh, it's cheaper. There's cost savings. Uh, it's a um, it does everything you want, uh, except the thing you really want. So maybe a tech tech fixer multiclass anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, anyway, that's the uh, that's the the build fluff around it. It's a cool weapon. Yeah. I hope you like it and it sees play. Yeah, and then there's some other stuff here. There's some honorable mentions like the Nomad Air Cannon. It's an air oh. cannon that fires, uh, it can fire biotoxins or poisons, any kind of liquid. It's a liquid launching air cannon. 
that read, access. Read, read it, read it. Man. Okay, now we got to read it. That one, I, that one I like a lot. Mechanically, it acts as an exotic shotgun with a one-shot capacity that fires using the shotgun shell alternate firing mode. Except instead of dealing damage, it coats any target that it spreads that the spread hits in the liquid fired, typically loaded with paint or water. However, if loaded with acid, all armor worn by any coated target is reduced by one SP. One shot of acid costs ten EB, ten eddies. So for ten eddies, you can lower uh, everybody's SP in a co- an iconical area, or actually. According to shotgun, it's everybody within line of sight, right? Within a di- in your line of sight, within a. Um... But I believe the way the rule is worded is it has to be in front of you, basically. Anybody you can see in front of you. Yes. Within range. Uh, most most of the time, that determination is it range, is it not in range, is very easy. The edge, super edge case is um, uninteresting and yeah, yeah, step in thing. Uh, you you should not be measuring fractals at the edge of shotgun ranges on your table. Uh, it will it works ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a um, this one's great. It's a spread heavy weapons version of the paintball gun. Uh, from uh, the core book, uh, which is a much loved uh, gun, and it's sort of the gun that teaches is supposed to teach the player, hey, there are other ways to do combat. Um, this one's cool. I like this one. Uh, it might be fun to take a bunch of players' weapons away and have this in an area. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, uh, what do we have? Uh, we got one of these. I like that. Uh, AKA the day where the, the person who rolled martial arts is like, why are you guys sucking so much? <laughs> exactly. well, get good. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that's Wood Chipper's Garage. You guys can find it at artelsoriangames.com. It is in their free DLC section. And that's where you guys can find it. Remember, free. Absolutely free. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. So make sure you guys take a look at that. Add some fun and pizzazz to your games. There's a nice little fluffy interview with from Jericho Hunt, JH. I wonder where that came from. And uh, Woodchipper having a conversation. Uh, Today at the Source is, is the title. So enjoy that, guys. Let's get to some questions. Thank you guys so much for shooting me some questions. John John the Wise at gmail.com is the location to send me your stuff. This one is from Mike Morrison. He wants to know what's the idea behind using the grenade launcher difficulty value for throwing objects versus using a close range DV like the shotgun? Um, so I would, so originally in my most early design for this i made my own i made a completely custom thrown weapons table um for how far you could throw a thing and then i realized that all of the numbers were the same as the grenade launcher table and that i had just wanted to do that again uh, 
it happened to work. And then I realized that a grenade launcher lobs things. Um, so it made, uh, it made sense to just, this might be, this might be a little too much inside baseball, but, uh, my goal in writing the rules is to make them memorizable. Um, where after you play, you're like, oh, I use that. Um, so it's very much, uh, important to me that they make sense. Uh, and there are detailed nuggets, but they flow back into the learning of other systems. Um, so that's the game design reason. Um, and a bit of the backstory. I hope that answers your question. Um, of course, it plays well on a table, in my opinion. Um, if you don't like it, please, please homebrew it. Uh, all right. So I hope that answers your question, Mike. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, <laughs> I'm not over it. I'm not over it. I need to get over it. Dude, it was so... I could tell from your reaction. It was, And I looked at the thing, and it's like in the red. I'm like, what the hell is going on here, dude? Oh, my God. All right. Anyway, sorry about that. <laughs> the other question. I need to yeah. move on. We got to move on, dude. Uh, so elaborate on determining difficulty value and positive negative modifiers. This is from Raf. It's a very generalized question, but the idea is there is a chart in the book that kind of tells you like, hey, this is an everyday challenge. So it would be a DV8, I believe. That's like, yeah. the, e that's like the basic, like opening a door, you know, turning on a blender, stuff like that. Um, but what do you do past that? I very rarely introduce modifiers um, on top of those uh, unless uh, they are called for or acted upon by a player's interest. Um, for example, um, I, run the, I run the chart straight. Um, I take DV and I say, okay, it's a this check. The reason I do that is because it makes the people I play with memorize what the DVs for this type of thing are. And it gives them that idea in their head, that play skill of, this would probably be difficult if I wanted to do this. I think I have enough luck. Um, it lets them feel the, um, the weight of each of the rungs. Um, if I kept monkeying with it, uh, by saying, okay, but it's really bright outside and the sun is shining into your eyes. That's a bad example. Um, okay, but the wind, it, there's an earthquake or something. Um, if I kept doing that, it would, for me, it would interrupt their plan. Um, and uh, most of the time, if I'm introducing a modifier i'm doing it because a player did something that caused it like they're the they're the source of this type of response from a gm tool like modifiers uh just because i don't use the tool very often in my gameplay does not mean that you don't have to use the tool very often in your gameplay i just like to run the system that i built straight uh they're there for you if you want to make things harder at any time and um, if you're dealing with a situation like 
Um, here's a very real situation. A player at the beginning of a session comes to you and say, hey, I made another character um, because I wanted to try something new. And it turns out that player is super hardened. And you find out in the middle of your game, like, I need to challenge this guy or they're going to remove the challenge for other players and impact their gameplay. Then I would start, you know, bringing in the, the okay, how do I, I'm going to, um, you know, turn the wrench a little bit here and spin the knob a little bit here. Uh, not on the game, though, on John John's mic. I would oh, never God, do don't ever do that. But, uh, you know, it, we're just trying to increase the difficulty of his, uh, um, what is it, audio video role? Uh, would it, would it be- <laughs> audio video uh, skill? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my DV? Uh, yeah, my DV was a 30 because of my son. He's in the DV of having a good um, podcasting experience. Um, Do you think I'd learn after all this time? No, microphones... You don't learn a microphone. You deal with a microphone. Exactly. Um, anyway. Um, yeah. So that's my elaboration on how I run it. Um, how you should run it is a discussion you have with yourself and you try different things out and you sort of see what works. Um, if you're looking to improve as a game master in this way that you're asking questions like these, I can tell that you're really interested in being the best you can be. Um, my number one advice to that is take notes after sessions and then review them um, in mass. Like take a notes like this session, here's what went right, here's what went wrong. Here's what went right, here's what went wrong. And after you have seven of those, review all of them. Um, see if you can make any patterns in gameplay. Uh, see any patterns of things you're doing. And then spice it up, change those patterns, try different things, strengthen different muscle groups, uh, and um, ultimately, GM more. You know, switch the muscle groupings, um, repetition. It's like working out. Yeah. More fun. It's way, way more fun, and I enjoy it so much more. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's great insight. I like that. That was great advice coming from the man himself. I, I personally have tried many things to try to figure out the difficulty values. I'll tell you some things that I don't do. I don't add too many positive or negative modifiers. I try to keep it to one of either one. I got to pick one. Which one is the, the most, you know, like where does the balance tip? It, have you, here's a question. Have you ever added positive or negative modifiers more than three times in one session yeah for sure okay yeah yeah i've I've never done three yeah but i try to see because if if it's down to one check then you can go into a rabbit hole of like oh but it's it's sunny outside but then you ate something weird two hours ago and then your shoes are you know you could like literally go into a rabbit hole of negative positive modifiers that's why I just pick one thing. I'll give you an example of what I did in our last game. We did a local expert check, and because one of the players was re- like should be familiar with this area because of their backstory, I gave them a plus one to their a plus one modifier just to that player. 
So I do stuff like that all the time. Um, and as far as determining difficulty value, if something's a DV8, I don't usually tell my players to roll for it unless they don't have the skill because then there's a chance that they they could really fail. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, when you're calling for a... That's, I mean, you just underscored one of the most important points. If the thing that you're doing would not be interesting if they failed, you never call for a skill check. Yeah. Because we're only excited by interesting things. And why, why would we have a... I would be GM a session that was inherently uninteresting. Yeah, like if one of the players has, uh, well, first of all, in the book it says drive land vehicle. If your base is a ten, then you just know how to drive a car. Yeah, you know? yeah, or so like that. I, I basically take that philosophy with like almost all the skills. You know what I mean? Uh, and like you said, unless it's interesting for them to fail for that one chance that they could, it's a tense moment. You know what I mean? Um, and then as far as like tiers of levels for difficulty values, I do DV13, DV15, and then DV20. Those are like the three most common ones that I've always done. Absolutely. It's a, it's a curve, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you never really need the heroic or incredible um, yeah. unless they're trying to do something interesting, but also you want to challenge them at that skill level. Like yeah. if somebody's trying to do something really cool that they're also really good at, that's when those come in. But otherwise, you stick to the middle of the table and that's how you show, okay, the other thing is consistency, right? If making a hamburger is a different DV on a different given day, that doesn't make any sense. And if different players, when they ask what the same thing to do, you say different DVs for it, it can start feeling unfair. Yeah, for sure. Um, so consistency is key. Yeah. Uh, and as long as they're playing with you and you are consistent, it doesn't matter that somebody else is, considers this to be difficult when you consider it to be professional. That does not matter because you're the GM and they're playing with you. Yeah, exactly. They will be fine. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And, um, you know, like James said, it has to be interesting. So make sure that when you throw these difficulty values out at them that, oh, uh, another piece of advice. Uh, I know I did a past video. Actually, I did a video about determining difficulty values. If you guys want to check it out, I gave you guys my ideas. One of them was instead of beating the DV, I was okay with my players tying it and calling that a pass. Since then, I have changed my mind. I am now rules as written as far as that goes because it changed the game significantly. Once you, yeah, thank you. Thank you for blessing me. <laughs> I solve you of your sin. Thank you for forgiving me. <laughs> because, you know, I, I did that and now the game has completely changed. It, when they hit that target value and not beat it, it's happened so many times where, where we're just like, oh man, you almost had it. You almost had it. Instead I, of just throwing them the, the success every time, you know? Thank you so much. <laughs> I tuned those numbers like for weeks to get them there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I promise if you run that as written, it will provide the experience I intended. Whether or not you like that experience, that's where homebrew comes in. But it's the one I intended. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And it's not I honestly I've run it that way just to give it a shot and uh it's actually worked out even better. It's made games more interesting because if you're passing all the time, first of all, Cyberpunk is a game of skill. It's it's a game where you will pass the skills. You'll more than likely pass the skills that you are that you have proficiency in and you'll more than likely fail the skills that you don't have pr- proficiency in. That's just like the way Cyberpunk has always been from 2020 and it's carried on to red. So if you make sure that you beat the difficulty value instead of tying it, you kind of stay along with that mentality is how I felt. Yeah, um, that's, I mean, it's definitely a feature of Interlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a feature of Interlock for a long, long time. Yeah. All right, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry that I destroyed your ears. Uh, sorry about this. It's a little bit of a short one, but James and I have to do something after this. Um, but we want to thank you guys so much for your love and support this one whole year of doing Night City Council. Thank you guys so much. Seriously, it's been a great time. James and I have had a great time with it. Um, James, anything you want to say to the people out there? I wanted to give a thank you to everyone who's supported the Cyberpunks for Ukraine um, live stream I was on. It was really great. There is a bunch of money, um, and it was for a good cause. Uh, anyway. Yeah, um, you guys can go check that out at Cyber Nation Uncensored. I believe the VOD is out there if you guys want to check out. Yeah, James was the Game Master. Uh, they raised a good amount of money. It was really awesome. So it was a great cause. Um, you guys did great. I loved it. There's Elf Lines on Lore. Uh, Elf Lines Online lore nuggets in there in case you guys wanted to go watch something. Um, but I also recommend watching um, uh, another John John the Wise video too. Yeah. Uh, fair. Watch two John John the Wise videos <laughs> to, to counterbalance it. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Tell me. Um, <laughs> anyway. All right, um, guys. That's pretty much it, right? No, thank you, everyone. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sending in questions. We got more now. Keep sending them in. I'm looking forward to answering some more. And uh, thank you to everybody asked questions today, by the way. They're great questions. Very good questions. I have some more, too, so just keep them coming. Quality has increased, I notice. Yeah. Yeah, because we got all the all the basic ones out of the way. Now it's all the juicy, deep ones to get through hard questions send me those yeah that's it all right guys thank you so much have a wonderful day we we love you all thank you for supporting we'll see you on the next one the uh council is adjourned